Southwest Rock Harbor this morning. Good? Good. Let's get started. Page 31 in our study guides. <clears throat> Talking about community in the kingdom. The central truth is that church fellowship is kingdom fellowship. I'm on board with that. You? Amen. Yeah, church. Church fellowship is kingdom fellowship, and that kind of switches it around, though. I mean, we've and we've been talking about a lot of these things. It's kind of themed, um, you know. It's good to gather here, but obviously, this is not everything. We've already, I'm just repeating myself. We've said these things before, but that truth, that quote right there, church fellowship is kingdom fellowship, really gets to the 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 heart of of what we're actually about and what we're here for, and that's the kingdom and the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. We're here for the kingdom of God, and we're here for his glorification. We're here to lift him up. Uh, it's not a social event, even though at times it can become such. And, and uh, it's nice to be able to gather in as an element, um, but we have a purpose and a reason as to why we actually gather here. And you've heard me say it recently. Uh, I really do think that the church has got to come back to understanding what it's even doing here. What are you even going to church for? What's the reason and the purpose? And I think if we hash that out within ourselves, we can get down to some pretty serious truths uh, within ourselves. So, I know let's get started. Living in peace and harmony within the body of Christ requires that everyone live by the kingdom principles Jesus taught. Since no one other than Christ himself has attained perfection in this life, there will always be times that people become prideful. Someone wanders away, some conflict occurs, and people are offended by the actions of fellow believers. I'll tell you right now, if you spend any time in church, any one of those things is going to happen. Is. It's going to happen. And, and, and remember this. Is, and and you've got to think about this. When you look at these, I'm going to name them off again. At times, there will always be times that people become prideful, someone wanders away, some conflict occurs, and people are offended by the actions of fellow believers. When we read that, if you're not careful... You'll have the victim mentality. And the victim mentality is, is that, you know what, Brother Tanner, you're right. I've had that happen to me, to me, many times. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't think about flipping it around and thinking that I'm the one who offended somebody. We don't ever think like that. We don't ever think like, yeah, I have offended some people before. We always think about being the one who's been offended. We always think about someone else that we think is prideful. We never think about ourselves as being prideful. So when we talk about these things that can happen here, remember, this is not a one-way risk. This is a two-way risk. This is the risk of you having to deal with prideful people and then people having to deal with you being prideful. Right? Amen. It works both ways. because That's kingdom. That's the way the kingdom works. And so grasping that in, in the opening of the under Let's Get Started, grasping that these things are going to happen if you spend any time in church. I've taught it from that angle for many years. In our trainings, we talk about those very things, is that as a leader in the church, you have to come to grips with the fact that people are going to offend you. You are going to have to deal with hurts and, and frustrations and aggravations. What made you think that you weren't? Right? You're still dealing with humans, right? Anytime you're dealing with fleshly people, you're going you're gonna to make those mistakes, and you're going to have to deal with those mistakes from others. And so 
we accept it and we, we take it as at face value. Face value, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're going to make me mad. I'm going to make you mad. You're going to get frustrated at something I say. I'm going to get frustrated at something you say. It's how we work through it. For what? For what reason? Kingdom. Kingdom reasons. Yeah, it would be easy. Wouldn't it be easy, though? Wouldn't it be easy if we just never touched it? Wouldn't it be easier if we just never even talked about it? Like I, I, because, like, we have this natural tendency to always talk about the easy things and to never want to talk about the hard things, especially in the church setting. I mean, we want to talk about rejoicing and love and all of those things. Nobody wants to talk about pride and the fact that maybe you've made some mistakes and maybe you've, you've been offending other people. Maybe you've been gossiping. No one wants to talk about that kind of stuff at the church. If, it, if we're going to be kingdom-minded, that's what we have to do. we got to, we got to talk in, in about the hard topics and hard subjects. So Jesus knew this would happen. So he taught ways to deal with these issues without destroying the effectiveness of the kingdom of God on earth. In today's lesson, we will consider the community aspects of the kingdom of God. There are tensions in any community and even... With God's grace, people come to the kingdom with issues. You got issues? Amen. We had like three amens. Church, do you have issues? Amen. Yeah, you got issues, all right. Come on. We all got issues. And sometimes our issues overflow into someone else's life. Now, I'm not talking about from the supportive uh, counsel, uh, counsel aspect. I'm talking about your personal issues or anger. We say, well, maybe you've got an anger issue. Maybe you've got a patience issue. And sometimes it overflows into someone else's life. Does that make sense? Got issues. We got things that we have to deal with. So, all right, well, so if you've got issues, though, if you've got things that you know that aren't good, you got to know that it's going to bleed over into someone else's life at some point in time. Anybody got a loose mouth? Anybody talk too much? Can that not sometimes bleed over? You ever, you ever been talking to somebody and you're just yapping away and then the conversation's over and you're like, you know what? I probably shouldn't have said the last 15 minutes of that. <laughs> you took a detour. And you just start talking about a bunch of things you shouldn't have been talking about. That's called issues. And sometimes they bleed over into someone else's life and they affect them. No, and we're not perfect, right? But if that's you, I'm not talking about just being the recipient. I'm talking about being the one who did it then we have to accept that. Issues, we got issues. Some seek to be in control. We call them, in our culture, we call them control freaks, right? Now, I will say this, that everybody, to, to some degree, everybody has an element of this. To some degree. Some is greater, some is less. Especially, I mean, if you, you come from your home, you've got your family, uh, you run your house, and then you bring all of what you do there and you bring it here with a bunch of other people that are doing the same thing. Every one of you are leaders in your own households. Now, what we have to do is we bring all that leadership and we bring it and we put it together in one place. And yes, there are times when people want to assert themselves and try to say, I think I know a better way, and then strong arm and make that more relevant than everyone else's. And I know at times it's difficult because everybody has that issue to a degree. And it's important to make sure that we don't overassert that leadership's good, and even control is good. 
But if you overassert that, then what does that do? That becomes an issue and it bleeds over into someone else's life. All right. Others refuse to submit to the standards of the kingdom. They just kind of rebellion. Sometimes the conflict goes beyond hurt feelings and involves physical or financial damage. However, local Christian communities must learn to use God's wisdom to resolve issues before they thwart their impact on the kingdom. God's wisdom to resolve issues, because that's his wisdom is the only thing that makes sense, right? Yeah. Ours does not. Page 32. Let's read our scriptures this morning. Ms. Haven, you would? Matthew 18 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a kingdom to a king who decides to bring his accounts up to date with servants who have borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a, a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Then the king called to the man he had for, forgiven and said, You evil servant! I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Thank you, Amy. Page 33. Greatness in the kingdom. Jesus patiently corrected his disciples' misunderstandings of the kingdom, kingdom's values. Their motivation for asking who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is unclear. It's, it, it is unclear, but it, as, we, as we go through this, and you probably, if you've studied those scriptures before, you, you'll know that because of, because of their culture and what they grew up in and what they seen, they had off-base motives. I have referred to this many, many times. And I'm not going to dig into it. I'm just simply saying we have picked up a lot of teachings from our own culture that we let affect our spirituality. And you got to check them. you got to check. Look, church, there have been things that I've had to have the Holy Spirit point out to me for years of things that I have been doing and bringing in culturally. Cultural beliefs, ideas, cultural, uh, um, just cultural things that I was bringing in and trying to adapt into my spiritual life. And the Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? No, you can't do that. And I, I truly believe that if we don't unravel some of our own culture from ourselves, you're never going to really get it. 
And this is why they were asking the question. It's like, look, you spent all this time with Jesus, and you're going to ask the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's like, of all the things you can ask me, you're going to ask that. But see, we're the same way, though, right? We're the same way. We do the same type of stuff. But he said, they had heard enough of Jesus' teaching to know worldly power had no value in the kingdom of heaven. They had seen how Jesus regarded people who valued status and rank. Yet it appears they were thinking more like Pharisees than kingdom citizens. And, and I go back to that point. Why do you think they were thinking like that? Why do you think they were thinking like Pharisees? And I can agree with that. I can get behind that. Why would they have that mentality? Because that's what all they knew. They were around it all the time. They seen the way they operated. They seen the way that it had become corrupt. And they just kind of got in with that and they thought, you know, there, there's a ranking system of greatest to least. Wonder where I rank in all of that. You see how easy it is to get lost in that? Even something we would even call religion. There's no rank. We're just doing it for the purpose of the kingdom. Jesus addressed the heart of the matter. Jesus called a little child to his side. Now that's a total reversal, isn't it? The fact the child was close by indicates he cared for those society considered unimportant. Jesus explained, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You stop right there and you think about that quote. You think about that quote. Because that's a very powerful quote. You could say a lot of things. We talk, you talk about you know, salvation. And, and, but this quote right here, when he pulls the child to his side, he's like, let me give you an example. You want to talk about greatness? You want to talk about the kingdom of heaven, how to get into the kingdom of heaven, how I rank people? He says, if you don't become like the little child, you're never going to make it. Now, that's not just, now, now think about this. Now, that's not just the salvation experience that he's talking about. It's, it's coming back to that innocence of a child and believing what you've been taught and staying there. That's not, that's not, look, church, we don't ever, we talk about maturity and things like that, you know, uh, about being more mature as Christians and we want to grow up in maturity. Yeah, all of us want to grow up in, in more maturity. But do you understand that there's an element of, of really having to stay as little children for your whole life, spiritually? Spiritually speaking, as your, your whole life, you have to stay as little children. And that's really unappealing to us in our culture. And I think some of the reasons that this, these set of scriptures don't get a lot of attention because that's unpopular. The idea that you really, when it comes to your relationship with the Father, you don't grow up. You have to stay as little children. And it's like, well, what are you saying, though, Tanner? Because the Bible talks about maturity, and it talks about chewing on the meat. Notice the analogy here. And he brings the, he said, you have to become like little children. Now, that doesn't mean you don't continue to learn. It's the attitude of the child. The child always is picking up on new things and always learning and always in that mode of submission. And, uh, yeah, if you tell me, I believe you. You understand? It's that attitude. And, and God is telling us that we don't need to ever get out of that. And so in that sense, we stay as little children for our whole lives. And I think sometimes we struggle against that because we want to be grown up, you know. For those of you that are in here and you know, you probably know what I'm talking about. You know, when you're a kid, you always want to grow up, right? And then you, quote unquote, grow up, and you wonder, why in the world did I ever want to grow up? <laughs> I wish I could go back to being a kid again. Because you realize how beautiful it was to be in a place of not knowing. It, it, that's the most beautiful thing about childhood, right? It's not knowing. 
And we don't even realize that that's actually what I think people yearn for the most when they say, I want to go back to my childhood again. You want to go back to a time of ignorance. That's not a bad thing. No, you understand. It's, it's a time when you didn't have all that stuff packed in your head. Back then, I didn't care who was president. Right? It didn't matter to me what the politics were. It didn't matter to me uh, what direction things were going. It didn't matter to me at all. I was just a kid. I was innocent. And all I knew was what mom and dad told me to. Now think about that for just a minute. Now let's transfer that to our spiritual walk. It's like you get, we get so distracted with growing up that we forget that the attitude that God is wanting us to have is just to stay at his feet and learn. Amen. You just stay at my feet and you learn. Don't get to where you think you're, you're, you're too big that you can't sit at my feet and learn. That's like little children. And I believe that's what he's teaching us here. So we have to understand that. <clears throat> um, children often, often exemplify faith, honesty, and humility, all of which are required for the kingdom. Jesus added, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. As humble as this little child, you become as humble as this little child, you're the greatest. Which, what does that say? I reward humility. I reward the person who doesn't see themselves as grown up. I reward the person that bows. That's who I, that's who I reward. And so you can see how this is, he's teaching them anti-culture. Get your mind out of that. Get your mind out of that religious viewpoint. You could say, I mean, we've talked about it before. You could say it's like this. It's like, it's kind of like, if I show up to church every single time, God's going to reward me for that. Maybe. But see, but that's a religious thought. That's religious thinking. That somehow you're going to get something out of your action, and you're going to get ranked accordingly. I fall into that all the time. Not that aspect of it, but other aspects of it. I'm like, what am I thinking? Come on. Think kingdom-minded. Quit thinking like someone who's, who's um, worldly-minded. Stop thinking like that. I hope I'm not the only person because these are things that we have to constantly work on to stay as little children. To stay as little children, to stay humble. They were asking the wrong question. Okay. Okay. Um, the grace of the kingdom of heaven, humility, the foundation for all other spiritual virtues, reflects a sense of dependence on God. Jesus warned his followers to avoid causing his little ones to stumble. This is, this is some good stuff right here, church. Listen to this. He said, Jesus warned his followers to avoid causing his little ones to stumble. Anyone who hinders the faith of another of any age will face severe punishment. <clears throat> if he says that, if he says that, might want to pay attention to that one. Now, what, what does that entail exactly? Well, it's, it's the way that you interact with someone and you hinder their faith. Now, how can you hinder somebody's faith? Somebody weigh in, and you tell me, how can you, how do you think you could hinder someone else's faith? Now, the Bible study's telling us, scripturally speaking, there's a severe punishment for doing it. So if there's a severe punishment for doing it, don't you want to know how it's being done I want to know how it's being done so I can avoid it so you tell me how can you affect someone else's faith in a negative manner come on let's play with it well, it's there's, fine. A, there's a lot of them so I mean, I mean it could be something as easy as uh, people that I work with know I go to church and then I'm listening to Eminem or something ungodly. Okay. Or it could come to okay, the, as simple as you're going to church, but they see you down at the bar 
you know, after church or okay. something like that. Or it could be something like your children know you're going to church. They did something to make you mad. You get mad and yell at them. And you should have used patience and calmness to step away from the situation. Okay. And they're like, hey, you're supposed to be godly, but you're doing all this. But don't the Bible say not to do that? Okay. That's good. That's that's a pretty good one. Not bad. Haven? Uh, leading people into temptation. Like, there's okay. different kinds of temptation. But uh, I just think, you know, leading people just in the wrong direction, being a bad influence on them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being a bad influence. Someone who is a leader who is well-known for their um, intelligence. Mm, that's good. Good question. That's a good good point. Yeah, um, getting yourself into trouble by giving your opinion instead of a, of, a, of an actual biblical fact. I think that's a good point because I was actually we were going to go there next. Who else? Who else? It's okay. We're just playing with. There's no right. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm just throwing it out there. So, what happens is is that we we often well if you if you give your opinion. You can, you can look at someone else and you can see how someone's excited and someone's really into the spirit and they're, they're really clinging to God. And then we get in and we begin to share our opinion about certain things and it derails them. It's like, who are you? Who are you to tell them that they can't be excited about God? Who are you to tell them that, they, that, that that's not, and I'm not talking about engrossing themselves in sin. I'm talking about an opinion. You have an opinion. And you put that out there so strongly that it affects their faith. It derails them. He's giving warning. He's saying, you better not do it. You better not do it. You better not derail my children. You better not. That's why we warn so uh, fervently in this church. Watch out what you listen to and watch out what you engage in. Because There was a time you didn't even have to warn about that because you were only getting it from one or two places anyway. And now you get it from a hundred places. And so I hope that you, church, I hope that you see the risk of having that at your disposal and how easy it can be to become deceived. And I can tell you, look, church, if you're listening to, if you know, we're teaching, we are teaching the Bible here at Rock Harbor Church. We are teaching the Bible here. Now, if you disagree with that, then you let us know. But this, this is the uh, overall truth that we teach the Bible here at Rock Harbor. If you are going and hearing these messages and then you're going out and you've got some of you say, I like to listen to this person. And you listen to them, but they tell you something conflicting and then you're like, hmm, let me weigh this. You better be careful. You better be careful. You better go. Now, I'm not saying you say, well, are you saying you're the only one that's right? This ain't about me. This is about God's word. This is about weighing the opinion of somebody and or weighing the fact of what thus saith the Lord. I, I truly believe within myself, look, I've learned this lesson myself, is that when God has spoke something into your spirit and you know it to be the truth and you, you look at it, it's right there in God's word, you've studied it and God has put it in your heart, you better not let it go. Amen. You better not let it go. And if, and if it's there and I give you, Sean's got it in his heart, what God has spoken to him, and then I come along with my opinion. I say, hey, brother, I think you're a little bit too, uh, too uh, tough on yourself with that. I think you need to be a little looser. So, well, God has really dealt with me about this issue and that issue and this issue. And I'm like, oh, brother, you don't have to be that hard on yourself. Great grace will cover that. You are derailing that person. You're derailing them. You're taking them away because they feel convicted 
about doing that activity or whatever that is, they feel that they they cannot uh, overstep those boundaries, and I and I it's a serious thing um, uh, to try to engage in that. Okay, Jesus said the offender would be better off having a millstone placed around their neck and being cast into the sea. That is one doozy of a, an example. <laughs> yeah. It's better for you just to tie a millstone around your neck, take you to the bottom of the sea. You think he's talking about drowning. He's talking about removing you from society. It's like you just need to pull yourself way down, get yourself away from everybody else. It'd be better for you to be down there than to have offended one of them. That's big. That is, that's big. Those listening to Jesus would have been familiar with the Syrian, Greek, and Egyptian practice of capital punishment by drowning, although the Jews rarely practiced it. Leading others into sin is serious. Although believers must be careful not to tempt others, we will face temptations because of our own desires. Yes, that's true. Yes, you can, you can, you have your own desires and you're led away by your own desires, but I do not want to be guilty by association of being the one who actually sparked their doubt and caused them to derail and go in another direction. I don't, I don't want to be connected with that. Jesus used a strong imagery when he says it would be better to cut off a hand or a foot. That's a that's a that's a massive imagery. That's a lot. There's some heavy imagery there. Or gouge out an eye than to be subject to sin they cause. Jesus was not advocating self harm. Instead, he was using hyperbole or exaggeration to help his listeners understand the danger of sin. See, see, he was hyperboling to make the connection. You think, man, he really kind of went a long way. You talking about gouging out an eye? And cutting off the hand, he was using that to get the attention to say, you think, well, that's like over and above. That's like way too much. And I believe that Jesus was saying, that's the point. I think that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, yeah, I know. That's the point. You're, you're saying it's overblown? I'm telling you, you're right. It's overblown. You're, you're, doing, you're stepping into a realm in an area that you do not realize the danger that you are setting yourself up for. You don't realize what you're doing. It's a major offense that you're causing here. Jesus next tells the parable of the lost sheep. Like sheep, the little ones Jesus described need to be with the flock. If one sheep wanders or even chooses to run away, a good shepherd will seek out the lost one. Jesus is teaching his followers to pursue those who wander away. Let me start with this. Let me just start with this. So he's saying Jesus is teaching his followers to pursue those who wander away. And a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about what that means. Let me just... I'm going to narrow it down because I, I want to stay on track here and I'll make sure that we just get to the heart of the matter. We're talking about people who wonder why. I'm talking, I'm not necessarily referring to people who come in and come out of church and, and, and different things like that. That's its own, that's its own thing. And that's, I'm not, that's not what I'm referring to this morning. What I want to refer to this morning is simply the compassion, having compassion for people that you believe that are backsliding. Okay. Having compassion for people that you believe that are backsliding. You're like, you know, they're not acting the same. They were really on fire at once. Could church attendance play into that as a, as a, as a, a, a you know, something that you see unfold in their life? Yeah, it could be. But that's not what I'm referring to. And a lot of people, because we're Western culture and we think about the church that way, you have a tendency just to think of only that. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about your compassion and your desire to not see someone else fall away. Because I think it starts there. 
starts there. You look at somebody, you see them struggling, you think, man, they were doing so good, and now they're not doing so good. And that should weigh on your heart. Why? Why should that weigh on your heart? Because, right, kingdom-minded, brother and sister in Christ, if they turn away from God, they're not going to heaven, they're going to, okay? Can we agree that it's a serious thing that's taking place there? And so I think we have to we have to have a heart for that. You have to have a heart for the people that are, are starting to leave the kingdom. A heart for people that are starting to turn away and, and go in another direction. And then the desire to reach out and connect with them. I'm not talking about going out and say, well, you need to come back into church. Okay, but look, okay, listen, there's something deeper than that going on. Church, remember, church is the byproduct. They'll come back to church when things are right with themselves. What else is going on? And are you and I willing to sit down with that individual and say, man, you're just not the same, man. What's going on? Are you okay? Is there something? Man, if there's something going on, man, tell me. That, see, that's heart. That's compassion. And even if they tell you nothing, I'm good. You showed your heart. And you're an instrument for the kingdom. I believe that's what the instruments have to do. The instruments are on a very personal level. The instruments do things that other people don't know anything about. I, You go out and you talk to somebody, you put your heart out there, and you say, look, I'm concerned about you. You make the phone call. Whatever it is that you feel like you need to do, but you make that connection, and you reach out and you say, I'm concerned. Are you okay? Because what is the, what's, the, what's the opposite of that? The, the alternative is, is that I said made this quote the other day, I think Wednesday night, been on my heart it's been on my heart i'm not i'm not necessarily teaching from someone who's fully mastered this because people don't care about what you say people care about what you do you show them how to do it then they'll care about what you say they don't care about what you say until you actually back that up so we talk about all this love in here we talk about jesus love and i love you and i love you and in the first time it gets tested then we just back up well i don't know what happened to them Do we really even understand what, like I said, I'm going to come back to it. Do we really even understand what we're here for? Do we really get and understand the kingdom-minded perspective? Not just asking people to come to church. Not just saying, you ain't been coming to church. Why don't you come to church? Let's go a step further. Let's go a step further. I'm not talking about getting in their business. I'm talking about saying, are you okay? Is everything all right? Let me make sure. And who knows? Maybe they needed someone to talk to. Maybe they, they do have some things going on that they need to talk about, and then they can they can unload on this. But look, let me tell you, church, and I'm going to flip this thing. If you're the one dealing with something, and somebody in this church asks you, are you okay, and you say, I'm fine, that's on you. I don't know what to tell you. It's like if, if it comes out, and you get the opportunity to say, you know what, I, I do, I got an issue, I got a thing, then say it. But don't bottle the thing up and say, no, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, come on. This is the way this thing works, all right? And, and look, I don't believe in pandering. I'm not a panderer. I, don't, I shouldn't have to beg you to serve the Lord, okay? I shouldn't have to beg you to serve the Lord. I shouldn't have to beg you to come to church. I shouldn't have to beg you to do all those things. I believe that those things are just things that need to be done. 
But if someone reaches out to you, and, and look, I hope that you don't have a requirement in your life. Look, listen to me. I hope that you don't have some sort of unrealistic expectation in your life that if you feel like you're going through something, that everybody in the church should have to contact you to make sure that you're okay. Seriously. You okay, Sean? <laughs> we got we got to step up, church. Listen, we got to step up ourselves and say, you know, I got some issues. I need to get these things taken care of, right? Amen. And I shouldn't be offended if I don't get sixteen phone calls asking me why I didn't show. Why did why why didn't you show up? It's like I didn't get as many calls as I would have wanted. Look, you in for the wrong reason. It's almost like we're treating it like it's Facebook. I I didn't get enough likes. I'll put up another post. <laughs> I'm talking about some hard stuff today, church. Listen, let, let's just get, let's just go with it. Um, okay, uh, Jesus is teaching his followers to pursue those who wander away. However, he doesn't belittle the 99 who remain faithful. Peter, uh, who probably heard this parable from Jesus himself, later described the Father is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter three nine, and he said, I, "I don't desire that anybody fall away. I want everybody to be in this thing." All right. Part two, corrective discipline in the church. Oh, it's a good one. We may not get out of this section. <laughs> we, we may be here for the next 20 minutes. Jesus describes a four-step method to resolving church conflict. If one believer sins against another, the offended person should go privately to the offender and tell him his fault. Okay, let's start. Step one, right? Let's, let's rehash it. If one believer sins against another... The offended person should go privately to the offender and tell him his fault. Okay, so you've been offended. Scripturally speaking, what the Bible is saying is that if you have been offended, then you should go to that person and say, you have offended me with a, a particular action, and there need, we, need to, we need to hash this out. Now, if that's not something you're willing to do, remember, this is step one. If that's not something you are willing to, you think, oh, man, I ain't never going to them, then you're not offended enough. Mm-hmm. Let me say that right off the front end. You're not offended enough. That's not an offense. People want to want apologize to for every little thing. It's like if you're not willing to go to that person and, and it's a serious enough offense, then you're not offended enough. That's not an offense. And quite frankly, I'll just say it like this. When it's the little stuff like that, you just need to grow up and move on. Move on. Get past it. Otherwise, go to him. Yes. Also, want to say along with the offended and offend, uh, of being offended, and then the offender, is that a lot of times this in this aspect we dismiss it a lot of times, and this is where the argument ensues is that let's say you're the one being approached. Okay, let's just put you in that scenario. Someone comes up to you and says, 
Brother Danny, you've offended me. You've offended me, and this is what you did. And, and go explaining everything that Danny has done. Now, the thing that where we go wrong is when someone approaches us is that you got to consider this. Is that we'll try to rationalize. I don't see why that offended you. That ain't no big deal. Think about this. This is what we do because we protect ourselves. We will protect ourselves. And by doing, we'll say, dismissive. It's not that big of a deal. I don't see why you're so worked up over it. That's the first thing we do. Listen, I'm going to tell you about how offense works. Is that if somebody comes to you and has enough courage to actually approach you and say, look, you've done something to me. I don't care whether you think it's wrong, it's right, or wherever it's at. Consider the feelings of the other person and that they come <coughs> to you and say, you've done something. Remember, it's not your feelings, it's theirs. But what's interesting about that is, is we try to infuse ourselves back into the situation again. I can tell you how to really throw the thing out of proportion is to deny them their opportunity to express themselves to you. Oh, we're going to have a problem now. Because they followed the rules. They'd done what they were supposed to do. And we shot them down. I didn't do anything wrong. Huh? I don't even know what you're talking about. Say, hold, hold on just a minute. Hold on. Now let's wait and consider that we're not perfect people. Amen. And to think, maybe we really did cause somebody to stumble. And if we did, maybe we should stop and say, you know what? I don't, I don't really understand all the details, but you know what? I, I am. I apologize for that. I didn't mean to hurt you. We can squash it right there. Squash. It's done. You see, we'll try to, we'll try to <coughs> rationalize defend ourselves now i'm not saying there are times if you know if there's a heinous accusation that's a different story i'm talking about just an offense something happened you offended another person they come to you and they say i've been offended the easiest thing to do is take it to heart that their feelings matter and you're not the only one involved you say i'm sorry about that i really am i apologize give me a hug brother we're good right yeah good. and it's squashed we're done we don't have to worry about this from here on forward. We're going to go back and we're going to go back to things like normal. But no, our fleshly tendency is we're going to put up a fight. We're going to put up a fight. We're going to say, hold on. Now, now that's not me. I would never offend anybody. <laughs> well, one fleshly tendency is to draw together and get support. Yep. Yeah. Before you ever take care of this first one, and that's where a lot of issues arise. Yeah. And usually the truth's not told and it's exaggerated or plugged up to fit your agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is solid. This is not an option. This is not something we can leave here around. This nope. is the way it's supposed to work. Nope. Well, let's look at this next step. I don't want to run out of time. I want to get through all the steps here. This gives the offender an opportunity to repent and restore the relationship. If the offending party refuses to listen, because we've never been there, so we don't know what that's like. <laughs> if the offending party refuses to listen, then the offended party should take one or two others along and repeat the process. Meaning, I've got witnesses that say, "Are you are doing this? This is an issue." And I'm talking about we're talking about real offenses here, okay? I'm not talking about just penny ante, little this, little that. Once again, I refer to that as not being those are that's not what we're referring to here, okay? If that's maybe you're not offended enough, and maybe you should never get to this place, and that's why I think that some things just need to be gotten over. Some things you just got to move on. It's like, okay, let's just move on. Sometimes 
your personality. Some, some, some of us got personality traits that are not real popular with other people. I don't need to confront you over every personality trait that you got that I dislike. And I hope the same goes for me. Because we all got little things and tendencies that agitate people. I don't like it when they do it like that. I don't like this. What are you going to do? Are you going to confront them about it? That's Listen, church, we're talking about real offenses here. This is what the scriptures talk about. We're talking about an actual thing that does somebody wrong. Not just because your opinion about somebody is, is, is strong. Okay. If, okay, so that was two. Do we take two or three others and then repeat the process? It means we go to them again and say, look, this is what you're doing. You've actually done something wrong, and you need to repent of it. If the individual still refuses to repent and be reconciled, the situation should be brought before the church. Whoa. Okay, we just shifted gears here, didn't we? This is step three. Step before the church. Offended party. Or the, the, the offender being brought before the church. Now, why are we doing that? Now, somebody, I want you to weigh in on this because I think we need to understand the roots of this. Why are we bringing them before the church now? Because we have somebody that's excommunicating themselves from the body. They're, they're literally, they're trying to pull themselves away. And they're, we call this, this is going rogue. It's going rogue. I'm going to still go to church there, but I'm going rogue. I'm on my own. I do what I want to do. I say what I want to say. I act how I want to act. And I'm still going to come here. Look at this. This is strong. I mean, we're giving a strong warning here. And they say, bring them before the church? We're talking about, man, we're talking about, that's some embarrassing stuff. Now, of course, are you going to get them up in front of everybody? I don't think that's what that's referring to, okay? We're talking about opening this thing up and saying, we've got some, we got some problems that we need, that need resolved. we got an issue that needs to be taken care of. If the person still refuses to respond to your she should be treated like an unbeliever. What? What's that saying? It's saying, if it still continues and they still say, I don't care. You say, well, see, that's excommunication. They've self-excommunicated. They've put themselves away and said, I'm not going to abide by anything that's set up there. I'm not going to abide by it. He said, then you treat them like an unbeliever. They're not actually a part of the body. You see, now, what you should do is flip this thing. Like, wow, he's going he's gonna to throw somebody out or tell us to treat somebody like they're, like they're not a part? That's how serious he takes the body. That's how serious Jesus takes the protection of the people that are gathered together in his name. And the, the fact that he's trying to keep you from being corrupted. A lot of churches split over stuff like this right here. A lot of opinions. Okay. Um, by following these steps, the church experiences unity and the kingdom will expand. If the instructions are ignored... The church will be unhealthy and its mission will be hindered. Okay, let me just read that one more time. If the instructions are ignored, the church will be unhealthy and its mission will be hindered. Because we have a mission. And that's what gets lost in, in the mix of, of discipline and, and taking care of the church's holiness and making sure that things stay pure in, within the church. It's like, do, do we not understand what we were even here to begin with? It was the mission. What's the mission about? Why? That's the reason he gave us these steps. He goes, stay on track, stay on track, make sure that you stay where you need to, uh, where you need to be, so you don't veer off. Most situations can be resolved using the first step. Totally agree. Just what Pastor said. Keeping the issue between two people 
who are dire uh, directly involved. In this way, the little ones Jesus refers to can be gently disciplined because that's God's always his first avenue and first desire is to gently discipline. Always. First, gently discipline. Like, hey, hey, that's not right. That's not right. Got to go a different direction, okay? And then if we continue rebelliousness, then at some point in time, he's going he's gonna to wake you up. Hey, I told you no. Wasn't that that way when you was a kid? First it was a hand smack, or first it was, a, it was I, I told you no, or whatever it was. And then the next time it was a smack. And it just kept, they, they ratcheted up the discipline every time that you did it. And it got worse and worse. And I'm fixing to show you here because Jesus talks about unforgiveness in the same manner. So he ratchets this up to the point where he's like, I love you so much, I'm going to get your attention. Like, pay attention. Stop doing that. People who make minor errors in judgment as they grow spiritually should be treated with grace. Some offenses may not need to be pointed out. Absolutely. As Proverbs 19.11 says, sensible people earn respect by overlooking wrongs. And that goes back to what we were saying before. Sometimes you just got to overlook people's wrongs. Just overlook them. Move on. Don't get hung up on it. Not worth it. Jesus continued to teach about church discipline, stating, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. When a church recognizes the one whose sin has repented, the church acknowledges the person has already been loosed or set free in heaven. However, if the person refuses to repent... The church has the authority to declare the sinful one as being bound in heaven and must be considered outside of the body of Christ. And you think, isn't that kind of harsh? But I'll bring you back to one of the church's foundational teachings, which is what is being lost today. Did you see it there? Repent. Foundational. It's the, at the very core of believing in Christ. I don't believe you cannot believe in Christ without repenting you can't you can't say you know him if you don't repent it doesn't even, you can't even put the two together it's like well i know christ it's like well you know we talk about repentance it's like well i asked him into my heart no i, I don't know okay no did you repent of your sin no i haven't and i'm telling you that today because that's exactly what's happening today there's people going around asking jesus into their heart and having this form of religion but nobody actually has to repent anymore Sin is not actually being pointed out as being wrong. No. And that's the core. At the very core, it's like, here's your chance to repent. Repent. Turn the other way and go that way. And I've said it before. I'm not going to, I don't have time to hash it out. Remember, repentance is not I'm sorry. Repentance is not I'm sorry. Okay, it's like, I think that's where the church is at today, is the church thinks that they can just say they're sorry. So that's not, that's not it. It's not, I'm sorry. Repentance is literally, I'm changing my mind about the whole thing. I've offended a holy God who has oracles in place, and I have offended him. I'm going in the other direction. That's serious. That's a serious thing. And so that's where we're at today. And so, so um, when it says, when it talks about um, the person refusing to repent, the church has the authority to declare the simple one is being bound in heaven and must be considered outside of the body of Christ. They're being considered outside of the body of Christ because they won't repent. But doesn't that make sense, though? Now, think about it. All right, well, let me ask you this. If you, if you disagree with that in any way, and I'm going to spend just a little bit more time on this because I think we need to understand this. Let me ask you this. 
You got someone in the church who doesn't believe in repentance. You want them teaching your children in the back? No. You want them up front teaching the congregation? No. I don't have to. I don't have to repent. See, there, there's a reason why those things are in place, and we get at times we'll get offended over the fact that certain things have to take place and flow to make things flow. And it's we don't even we don't even wrap our hearts and our minds around what the reason for these things are. And it's to keep the peace. It's like, but you're you're excommunicating somebody. They don't believe what you believe. They don't believe that. And to pretend like they do, that's false and wrong on us. And so you have to accept that. And look, I'm not talking about, I'm not just looking at other people. I'm looking at me, and I'm hoping that you're looking at yourself. If we're unrepentant of, that's a problem. If we're unrepentant and we're strong, we're uh, disobediently uh, strong, we, we, no one's going to move us from our spot. No one's going to tell me I did wrong. Look, church, the, the Bible's telling you, you don't even need to be around if you're going to act like that. That's a serious thing. So I'm saying that so we wake up to see that. Okay, and I'm going to finish this out. I've got just a couple minutes. Verse 19, Jesus extended the authority of believers to the issue of prayer. Jesus was emphasizing such matters must be covered in prayer and that his followers' uh, prayers would be answered. However, the believers must be unified. In John 14, 13, Jesus specified the request uh, be made in my name so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Jesus was not providing a formula that guaranteed self-centered requests would be granted. It was explaining the limitless power of prayer offered by unified believers focused on the kingdom. Jesus promised to be present when two or three gathered together as my followers. Not, on, not only did this indicate his deity, only God is omnipresent, but it also demonstrated the value of believers regularly gathering in his name. We know that. That's good. Okay. Let's get into section three real quick, and then we're going to close it out. Peter asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Seven times? Question mark. The Pharisees taught people should be required to forgive someone three times. So Peter's offer was generous. However, Jesus' response, 70 times 7, implies no limit to the number of times we should forgive. If we expect unlimited forgiveness from the Father, how could we offer less? That's a good point. That is a really good point. Why, why would we want to limit it? If you need it, do you need it? Amen. Okay. And do you need it in an unlimited way? Amen. Okay. Then... And I, I'm going to tell you, church, this is something that you really have to search out within yourself because you're probably thinking, I don't even know how I can forgive unlimited. <clears throat> Go digging. Go digging in the Spirit and ask the Lord to supply you with the ability to forgive like he forgives. Yeah, at times you've got to call that into question because we, we draw lines, right? As the flesh draws lines, it's like, no, I've had enough of that. It's like he's telling us if you want unlimited forgiveness, you're going to have to learn to forgive. We were talking about this the other day. Look, I, I, church, you got to forgive. You do. Now, I understand that you may not always like the individual. It's like, you know, I just being around them, just, they, they just do things that I just don't like. Well, no one said you had to just be totally in love with every part of their personality. But the Bible says to forgive them. Okay? Forgive. Don't mean you have to have them over to your house every weekend. Don't mean it has to be all this lovey-dovey type of deal. Just you got to learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. The settings of Jesus' next parable was a royal court in which a king would call his subjects to account 
for what they had borrowed from him. One individual owed the king 10,000 talents worth millions of dollars today. The king decided to sell the debtor, his family, and all his possessions. The debtor fell before the king, begging, Have patience with me. I will pay thee all. A promise he could never keep. But the king showed mercy by setting him free, forgiving the debtor, and returning him to his responsibilities. In the next scene, the uh, forgiven debtor found another servant who owed him 100 denarii, a fraction of what had been canceled for him. The forgiven man grabbed the other servant by the throat and demanded instant payment. The second servant made the same request the first servant had made, yet the, un the forgiven man refused to extend mercy. Instead, he had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When the king heard, he retracted his mercy, sending the first debtor to prison to be tortured until the debt was paid in full. No doubt, it was a lifetime sentence. Let me tell you what I was thinking here, and then, and then we'll close. I was thinking here, I thought this was interesting because this man was forgiven for millions of dollars of debt, right? This was the example, for millions of dollars. This other man owed a couple denarii, or a couple hundred denarii, uh, you could say a couple thousand dollars, and so he grabs him by the throat. And I thought, you know, it's really interesting if you think about it. He borrowed from the man that had borrowed millions. He was probably not even using his own money. He was using someone else's money. And then by the use of that money, demanded, and that's personal. You understand how personal that is? Grabbing by the throat, that's personal. Give me what you owe me. And so the example is, is that if you've been forgiven for all the things that you have done, we forgive the same way that Jesus has forgiven us. That's heavy. That's heavy. Because you only you know what you've done. You only know, only you know. And so we measure that same thing. We measure that back to the people that have offended us. Let's consider those things this morning. I'm out of time. God bless you guys. Thank you.